This is Crow's Feet, a place where we ponder the question, are these our golden years, or does aging just suck? Well, yes, getting older is not for the faint-hearted, but aging also brings wisdom and humor, a finely tuned perspective on life. In our podcast, you'll hear the voices of more than 300 writers who will inspire you and often make you laugh about this journey through life. Live from the home of the world champion Los Angeles Lakers, this is Friday. Now speaking on behalf of the entire cast, here is Melanie Chartoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Crow's Feet Podcast. I'm Betsy Allen, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we have a very special guest, Melanie Chartoff. Melanie's no stranger to the limelight. In fact, she's done just about everything you can imagine in the world of show business. She's shown off her beautiful voice and acting talents in musicals on and off Broadway and in Los Angeles, and she's honed her comic chops with improv performances at clubs in New York and L.A., In the world of TV, she starred and wrote for the ABC late-night comedy show Fridays, alongside Seinfeld creator Larry David and star Michael Richards. She had starring and recurring roles on The New Heart Show, Seinfeld, and Ally McBeal, among many others. And this is nearest and dearest to my heart and to those of my children. Uh, She shares an Emmy and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for voicing the characters of Dee Dee, Mrs. Pickles, and Minka, on the beloved Nickelodeon animated series, Rugrats. But there's much more. Melanie's also an environmental inventor, a seminar leader. She's active in numerous charitable efforts in the LA area. And perhaps most central to our conversation today, she's an author, including her recent book, Odd Woman Out, a collection of essays that look back on her incredible experiences, but also delve into how she is viewing her life as she ages. On Medium Crow's Feet publication, Melanie's been sharing some of these insights on her life as an older woman, especially what it's like to fall in love and marry at the age of 65. We're lucky enough to have her here today to talk about all that and to share some of her fantastic writing with us. Welcome, Melanie. Oh, thank you. My God, I hope I can live up to that setup. Honestly, I could have gone on a lot longer. Uh, I always find myself curious, though, about where that drive to do all of those things comes from. Well, I come from a kind of depressive family and, um, you know, Jews with an inheritance of grief. Uh, and my sister and I, I think, devoted ourselves to lightening up our folks and our, our, our family. Our family consisted of refugees and immigrants. A lot of our family members were lost in pogroms and holocausts. So I think my sense of humor was a defensive reaction, but it eventually became a talent and a gift. Um, and I still at base philosophically like to bring light to the world wherever I can, uh, even in dark times, even when I'm going through dark times and the people I love are. So humor is an important pigment, uh, I guess, in my philosophy and my personality. It can be a lifesaver and, and no, no exaggeration there at all. Um, in that long list of accomplishments, we talked about, uh, so many, Great showbiz moments, so many great um, experiences. Looking back, what what resonated kind of the most for you? Well, I feel very fortunate in a long life as an actor to have been part of some very cutting edge projects. For example, 
even though Fridays was cloned by ABC to be a ripoff of Saturday Night Live, everybody on the show is very iconoclastic. Uh, Larry David, for example, Michael Richards. Uh, and I like to thank myself and John Rourke. We had very different approaches to comedy. Although we were likened to Saturday Night Live, we were very different. And then I was part of a cartoon series called Rugrats, as you know, which was Yay. part of a brand new network, one of the first cable networks, and was one of the very first most successful animated shows on a cable network. We were also the first to do uh, specials for Hanukkah and Passover animated specials on those holidays that never been produced. So I felt honored to be part of that. Um, I was a stand up. I wrote my own musical, uh, a one woman musical. And I had a, an agent come to me and virtually say, cut out all the songs. This is a book. It's a book <laughs> about maturing, about identity, finding oneself as an actor when there's so many options for characters to embody. And um, she guided me. And so I wrote my first book and got it out last year. And it's been a, a wonderful kind of outlet for me. Um, and it's really encouraged my my writing for venues like Crow's Feet, which I think is a wonderful new, relatively new institution for women our age who still have a voice and a lot of original thought that they want to share with the world. So it's been a great forum for me. I hope it continues to be. One of my warmest memories, and, and you brought it up about Rugrats, was the fact that you did have a Kwanzaa episode and a Passover episode. <laughs> and I was the room mom for my, my son, and everybody already loved this show and loved those characters. But that we, when it came time, holiday time, that we played all of those different episodes. And I was so impressed that the, that show actually got it, that, that, you know, we, there's more than just the ho, ho, hey, ho, Christmas Santa stuff going on there and how, how wonderful it was to have all those experiences seen through the eyes of the little kids in the show and of the hilarious adults. One of my favorite aspects was, um, as Minka, I got to nominate the Hanukkah special, which was about uh, Judah the Maccabee coming out of Israel. And um, it was really a, a breakthrough episode, which brought Hanukkah into the homes of so many people who were home for Christmas. That was one of my most wonderful privileges. And I got to I got to fight as a mother, Minka, with Dee Dee Pickles, her daughter, who was in a mixed marriage with a Christian husband and still worshiping in her own way. And it was really um, fun to play those two characters. I also played the wife of Reptar, who was kind of a, a, a dinosaur character on the show. And one of my favorite episodes personally was that we did Reptar on Ice. So it was like an ice capades with Reptar at the center, a, a show within a show. And I got to play Reptar's wife, singing about how what it was like to fall in love with a lizard. <laughs> I, won't, I won't even tell you how many Reptar t-shirts I bought for my son. Those cartoon episodes will live forever. They just are uh, so timeless. So, so let me ask you, we, we've kind of talked about the, the experiences that resonated with you. What were the experiences you found the most uh, challenging? Well, um, I was cast in an opera uh, called March of the Falsettos, which was the pri prior show to a show that became Falsettos that was on Broadway a few years ago. And in March of the Falsettos, it was all sung. And I played a woman who realizes that her husband is having an affair with his best friend who is male. And in the show, I got to uh, 
premiere a song called Breaking Down, which is about a woman having a nervous breakdown. And that was a very challenging song. It's on, um, I think it's on YouTube or SoundCloud if anybody wants to hear it. But I actually every night had to have a nervous breakdown. Uh, At a certain point, I'm chewing on a dish towel. I'm dancing with a knife. Uh, I had to fall into the orchestra pit at the end of the song and they had to pull me out. It was really challenging and so thrilling because I'd get a standing ovation in the middle of the show. So um, I, that was one of my proudest moments, but of course it's very ephemeral because it was on the stage instead of on television or on film, but that was wonderful. And then I got to play um, Dot in Sunday in the Park with George in the first West Coast company of that show. Bernadette had done the role beautifully in New York, and then I got to do it on the West Coast. So that was a challenge. But again, when one overcomes one's challenges, one gets such a sense of victory and growth. And so that's the good part about these challenges. So with those performances and with all the show business work that you've done, writing uh, was a way for you to kind of make sense of that, put it into context, think about all that together. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what your experience with that has been? Do you have a writer's group? Do you work independently? Well, I started writing. In fact, my family thought I would be a writer when I was in grammar school. I wrote a play called The Queen's New Dress that was produced in New Haven County, which was a big achievement at the time. And I wrote for the school paper and I was the editor of the school paper. So I've always been writing. But in recent years, I found it's self-therapy. It's a way for me to process and conclude uh, in a tidy way on the page and live up to those conclusions. Uh, processing all that we go through as women, as humans on this ever-changing earth. And um, in this particular book, it's a collection of essays about realizing at the age of 50 that I had never gotten married. I didn't have a family that I felt close to. I had so few personal accomplishments, so many career accomplishments. And I sort of looked at my life and said, I need to make some changes And I I went into therapy to develop a real self because I had a series of personae that I embodied for convenience, depending on the group I was with. And um, the book kind of encapsulates a woman's journey from being always feeling like the odd woman out, which I think you and every woman probably have felt at some point, to feeling I belong in a family and in a, a world of love. listening to the Crow's Feet Podcast, and today we're with Melanie Chardoff, an actress, author, and newlywed for the first time after the age of 60. I'd like to to just kind of focus in a little bit on the essays uh, that you've published on Crow's Feet, because those center uh, a lot on your relationship with that special person that you found Stan, your husband, uh, you shared that you married relatively late in life at 65. And you, uh, you mentioned in the essay that your mom actually encouraged this, uh, but that you were more careful and deliberative about it, that you didn't exactly rush in right away, that, that you, you thought about it carefully. So, so what was that like to, to meet that special person at 65? Well, it had a lot of, um, 
you know, false runs where right. I got involved with someone and then the pink flags that showed up at the beginning of the relationship soon became scarlet red. And then I had to get out of them and always with with damage to both involved to hearts and honor and and there's always hurt feelings. So I was very careful at this point. I um I went on a gut and intuitive basis as well as having my questions, you know, my questions. And generally the answers to the questions were less important than how they were answered. And Stan, the man I met was a psychotherapist. So he had answered a lot of those questions for himself and had really pithy answers, very profound answers. And we found in our first conversation, which is a four hour dinner date, that our work was analogous. We were both, um, pursuers of character, he as a psychotherapist and me as an actor, we loved appraising character, understanding how characters got that way. What were the developmental traumas that caused them to have this strange trip that they were on? Um, We had so much and still have so much to talk about in this regard. He keeps his clients information private, but he will tell me anecdotes from their lives. And I'll tell him about roles that I'm auditioning for and how fascinating and facile they are um, for various reasons. So we had a very strong common ground, which was an interest in in character. That's a really interesting kind of nexus to to connect around. So I understand from your essay, the first one that I wanted to uh, kind of get you to read an excerpt from called To Love or To Sleep that there are always special challenges in a relationship. But one of the ones that you had uh, uh, had to do with actually sleeping together in the same bed. So I'd like to ask you if you would to share an, an excerpt from To Love or To Sleep. Well, this is about my success in finding uh, my new date online. I never met guys in bars or bookstores because I never went to them. So friends suggested I go virtual and I got lucky in my first week. I fell in like with the thumbnail photo of Stan in my locale and in my age range. And full size in real life, he turned out to be smart, funny, interesting and interested. We began meeting for four and five hour suppers and long and longer walks. Soon our time spent talking, handholding, hugging and kissing wasn't enough. It was time to discuss taking the next step and sleeping together. Oh, not to have sex. We were far from ready for that. Just sleeping together. We had the talk. I sleep in baggy cotton stuff, I warned. So do I, he exclaimed. I'm a pillowholic, I confessed. Me too, he cried. I have six. I like them soft. I like them hard. I'm a morning person, I said. I'm a night guy. I'm a light sleeper. I snore, he said. I have earplugs, I volunteered. I have a sleep apnea machine. No, no, we cried. We pulled back. How could such daytime delight coexist with such nighttime incompatibility? We had too much going for us to give up now. We were both insomniophobes. Spending the night together would be our Everest. That's wonderful. And, you know, all all couples have something, something that, that they have to kind of rise above. 
but you but you did find a way to cope somehow. I know in the essay later on you perhaps don't come to an understanding about being able to sleep in quite the same way, but I think you point out that once you find that right person, perhaps they're worth losing a little sleep over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the other big experience that I think you write about that I found so interesting and poignant, and that can be a real crucible for couples is traveling. It's a time when you can see your partner at their best and at time when you can see them perhaps at, well, if not their worst, at least under pressure. And you can learn a lot about them and about yourself. In your essay, Off the Beaten Path, you write about a trip with Stan and you're describing seeing him at the airport where he's bending over to put a tag on a piece of luggage. Can you share what you noticed? Yes. A patch of pink at the top of his head where a shock of gray explodes energetically out of his scalp and divides in all directions is widening. Being shorter than he is, rarely higher up than he is, it's my first evidence of his aging. It looks shy, naked, new. It's not the bald spot per se that makes me want to run and hide. It's not that he's any less adorable. It's what it signifies. The map has changed with this new life-size landmark. No navigation system will show us any way around it. Google has not yet charted this locale. I didn't factor in this development, that things that finally felt so fixed in my life with my marriage could erupt in flux, that things that seemed under control could get so swiftly unsettled. Oh, I'd seen aging in myself, certainly. I'd lost an inch in height. The skin of my thighs, which used to be taut, is not. My face, which used to be my calling card, is a falling card. Signs of decay no longer go away with a good night's sleep, exercise, or my hairdresser. In fluorescent lit mirrors, in others' selfies, in shop windows, I've caught a glimpse of myself and gotten disoriented. Who is this aging person? This once confident woman looks a lot like my 90-year-old mother. That's a very universal thing. Um, I, I think that we go through where you start to see your mother in the mirror. Later on in the essay, you liken this travel with your husband to the larger journey uh, that many of us are taking into the later portion of our lives. Funny how the aging trip, with its sudden departures into unknowns, for which one only plans in generalities, with its new language, which only medical professionals will translate for us, with the adaptations that will be demanded of us as time flies by, is so much less welcome than the other surprises I so treasure when we journey to new places together. Where the hell is my embrace of spontaneity, my openness to growth, to coping with the unknowns along the way? And I find that so very profound. Aging is its own trip. Even if up to this point you've embraced life and spontaneity, it, it's a pretty daunting thing to go into. And we do it whether we're ready or not. Because at least we're all in it together, though, exactly. you know, that's Betsy. true. That's true. But so much of it is beyond our control. And so it, it is good to have kinship. It is good to have community in, in that journey. 
I take a dance class um, on uh, Thursday mornings. I just came from it. And uh, in that class, there's no one younger than me. They're all my age and much more mature. And every week, everybody's comparing injuries or operations. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but it is there's kind of a listing of how's your shoulder, how's your knee. Uh, but we all dance together for a full out hour. And by the end of it, we're not thinking about our aches and pains. We're just in joy and delight at having done these steps together. So I feel like in aging, there are all these steps that we're taking together. And the communion of us all, like on crow's feet, is what will make the journey really entertaining and interesting. That That's just a beautiful thought. Um Finally, near near the end of the piece, you you kind of realize that that your husband is owning that part of himself, and uh, you come to appreciate the confidence and the bravery of it. Uh, can can you read for us kind of how you reacted to that? At that moment, I fall deeply in love with the bald spot atop him and decide to adopt it. It's a whole new thing about him to cherish. It will be my new pet, a hidden motherless child I didn't know existed. It's young, vulnerable, innocent, and pink, like an infant's derriere. Dear little Spot. He straightens up, hoisting his bag, and offers one of his world-illuminating grins. Surprised to see me gazing so tenderly at him, tears cresting in my eyes. What is it? He asks. Nothing. I say, I love you. I love you too, he says. Here we go. I love that. It's just so beautiful. And I love that. I love the sentiment of here we go. Let's let's do it. Let's go out and see the world. Let's go give me your hand. Um, it, it's, just a, it's just a beautiful thought. Um, and it, it's something that's so sweet, again, to have that togetherness at, at, at this point in life. Um, I have to share that I found my, my second husband on match.com and, oh. and also, uh, you know, this is later in life. We bought, we had, you know, four grown children to a piece and, uh, and it, it's special. There's a special richness to the, to these kind of relationships that happen a little later. A little yes. later in life. Partly because your children are grown generally at this point, and you may have sequestered some disposable income that you can enjoy together. And whatever compromises and sacrifices you need to make to maintain a lifestyle that's comfortable for you, you're doing it together. And um, there's still so much to enjoy. I know that my husband and I become streamer addicts. There's so much wonderful <laughs> performing and writing going on that we can capture in our homes. We're so fortunate. And that has really helped us during pandemic and, um, you know, not being able to go to movie theaters as much um, hasn't been so bad because we've had such wonderful in-home entertainment. So, and always the a little discovery too of, of what, what, what each other likes and uh, you know, kind of what you do in these times of, of relative adversity or in times when you're not, it isn't your normal routine. So that, that that's always interesting to make those discoveries too. Um, I I could talk to you forever, Melanie, but unfortunately we're we're, we're running out of time. I, I did want to ask you before we leave today what what's ahead for you? What are you going going to be working on 
in the coming months? Well, online, I coach virtually a number of young actors. I work with them on their voiceover careers. I work with them on their personae for personal and public appearances. Um, I have a site called charismatizing.com. And I work with shy authors who are doing public book readings. I work with politicians. I work with Christian journalists. I work with folks of every stripe on coming into their charisma, on coming into their sense of personal power. Uh, It doesn't have to do with looks. It doesn't have to do with money. It doesn't have to do with success. It has to do with the light that you carry. People can reach me on charismatizing.com. And I also am auditioning, just like your regular Dime store actor, uh, we have to self-tape now. We don't go to casting offices anymore. We have to learn how to film and light ourselves and direct ourselves and um, record ourselves for various projects going on all over the industry. And I also sing. I'm in a singing class developing an act with a guitar player right now. So we'll see what becomes of that. Right now, it just feels good to rehearse. Well, I should have known that you'd have plenty on your on your docket here of things that you're involved with. And uh, I wish you just so much success in the future. We'll be watching with great interest. I, I'm so happy that you were able to join us today. And thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your beautiful writing. Uh, we certainly do appreciate it here at Crow's Feet. And uh, maybe we can talk to you again sometime. I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Melanie Chardoff. And on behalf of the rest of the cast, I want to thank you all for being with us. Stick with us in future weeks. Thank you. Good night. You can read the writing excerpted in this episode and lots more of Melanie's work at the Crow's Feet site on Medium.com and at MelanieChardoff.com. Also, check out her book, Odd Woman Out, Exposures in Essays and Stories, available wherever books are sold and also in Kindle and audio formats. And you can check out her performing and coaching site at charismatizing.com. That's C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A-T-I-Z-I-N-G.com. And her personalized message offerings at cameo.com. Today's episode was produced by me, Betsy Allen. The executive editor was Nancy Peckenham, and editing and sound design was by Rich Halton, with support from our Crow's Feet team, Lee Bench, Kathy Dunn-Gilbert, Gene Feldeson, Jan Flynn, Nancy Franklin, and Warren Turner. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Crow's Feet, Life as We Age. Don't miss any of our great stories. Subscribe to Crow's Feet wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends and family to give a listen to and leave a rating or review. You can read more Crow's Feet stories online at medium.com forward slash crows hyphen feet. And check back next month for a new episode. So until next time, remember to savor every moment. As writer Madeline Dingle said, The great thing about getting older is that you don't lose all the other ages you've been.